Hello, this is Mike Dezenon, the host of Kaleidoscope, a podcast for women's voices from around the globe, talking about everything from peace building to gender-based violence to theatre. Kaleidoscope has been around since 2013 on various platforms, but today happily joins the Island Talks family. Today on Kaleidoscope, we will talk, be talking about migration. We'll be talking about migration through the eyes of documentary maker Karaka Minara, who is with us from Marseille. Welcome, Kara. Hello, Magda, and thank you very much for having me and for all your work. Kara, um, introduce yourself to the audience. Tell them a little bit about yourself and introduce them to the why you, how you dealt with migration. Why you focus on migration? So yeah, I'm uh, half Greek, half Cypriot, and I've uh, lived in Greece and in Brussels. Uh, I studied after finishing uh, this, my school. I, I studied uh, in Fine Arts University, and then I did photojournalism uh, because I was always very interested in um, uh, in visual languages and visual communication, and very much interested in different stories uh, in, in humans and stories. I did a few projects where I was combining art and photography. And while based in Brussels, I worked as a photographer, as a, as a freelance photographer for uh, the European institutions. Okay. Okay, so great. Started. Okay. Um, hello, and welcome to another edition of Kaleidoscope. Today on Kaleidoscope, we will talk, be talking about migration. We'll be talking about migration through the eyes of documentary maker Karaka Minara, who is with us from Marseille. Welcome, Kara. Hello, Magda, and thank you very much for having me and for all your work. Um, Kara, um, introduce yourself to the audience. Tell them a little bit about yourself and introduce them to the why you how you dealt with migration why you focused on migration okay so uh so yeah i'm uh half greek half cypriot and i've uh, lived in greece and in brussels uh, i studied after finishing uh, this my school i, I studied uh, in fine arts university and then i did photojournalism uh, because I was always very interested in um, uh, in visual languages and visual communication, and very much interested in different stories and uh, in, in humans and stories. Uh, so I um, basically I I did a few projects where I was combining um, art and photography and. Um, while based in Brussels, I I worked as a photographer, as a, as a freelance photographer for uh, the European institutions. And in one event I was there to photograph, there were some representatives of an association called SOS Méditerranée, which is uh, an, uh, an association that uh, takes action in the central Mediterranean uh, city. And uh, basically, what they do is they have a um, they have a ship and they patrol uh, outside the, the the territory of Libya, and they are there to 
rescue and assist um, people that are trying to cross from Africa to Europe. And uh, we have to say that that route used to be, and I think still is, one of the deadliest uh, migratory routes in the world. So uh, basically I was there uh, for two missions. One was in two 2017 and in 2018 and um, my role was to photograph the mission uh, of these people uh, at sea and then to speak and capture uh, some of the uh, images and of the stories that I would hear of these of the rescued people on board the Aquarius. Aquarius was the name of the ship uh, that they used to have. So after my trips on, on the Aquarius, I stayed in total a bit less than three months. Um, tell, me little, tell me a little bit about the trips. How, how did they okay. affect you? The, the trips, yeah, I, I it's been already four years since I've, I, I was there and I'm still trying to process everything that happened because it was so uh, tense and cruel and at the same time uh, there was uh, so much humanity everything um, in in such an extent and so intense that uh, it still it still takes time for me to process all this basically as i was saying i was there as a photographer uh, to capture um, the, the whole uh, the whole process of the um, of the rescue and uh, the life on board. And what I found so uh, so interesting was that at the same time I could hear uh, stories of horror, literally horror, things that I would not imagine that are still happening in our days. And even if I thought things like that were, uh, were over, they're not. Like uh, a lot of women were tortured and were raped. There were some that were pregnant and they didn't even know who was the dad. Uh, some of the men had uh, marks of, um, of them being beaten on their, on their bodies and on their faces. You could actually see it. And at the same time, there was a, a, a lot of solidarity between the people and uh, between the, the rescue team and, and the people on board. It was um, a very intense and uh, and also humane exchange of stories um i remember just a parenthesis i remember one guy so the, the yeah the rescues there was so basically we would be in the middle of the sea in the middle of nowhere the in the horizon would appear those uh, little boats and sometimes on them there was uh, from 20 people to 200 300 it depended on the on the type of boat once the rescue finished, which was a very difficult operation, uh, because obviously there was panic, the boats they were on were uh, very fragile. Um, but uh, once the rescue finished and everybody was on board, we would do shifts. We had different shifts on who would uh, be on uh, on the deck with them, and the other people would sleep, and then we would turn over. There was this this young um, the, this young guy from Mali that asked me where I was from, so I said Cyprus and Greece, and uh, 
And he said, oh, Greece, that's where uh, the economic crisis is. And I'm so sorry about what's happening to your people. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe that he was sorry for me. I mean, he had just uh, yeah, been on the worst trip ever, had been through Libya and torture. And he, he could still be sympathizing with me and with Greece. Yeah. So, yeah. But the stories they tell, those are the ones that I think we forget that the people that are on these boats, us that are spectators, that the people that are crossing over are humans. And I think it's really forgotten in the narrative, especially in the countries that accept a lot of migrants, Cyprus, Greece, Italy. I think we forget this narrative that it's people on these boats. Survival, it's a case of survival. It's not a case I get onto a cruise ship and where do I want to go? I want to go to the coast of Italy. So it's nice to hear, it's good to tell the stories of the people that were on the ships to remind us all that it's people. And it could be us next time. Yeah, I think exactly. that's another thing we forget. Exactly. Uh, that's, what I, that's why I really appreciate the fact that SOS Mediterranean, they don't speak about migrants, they don't speak about refugees, they just speak about people, the rescued people. And okay. for me, this is like, it tells a lot about about uh, how they work and, and that's exactly what I appreciate about them because I think more and more, I mean, we people are falling into categories and there is the superior category and the inferior category and depending on and this has to do on many things, like on gender, on color of the skin, or um, religion. Where, yeah, where religion, where you're born geographically, and uh, and and yeah, this is we, we see this every day in different levels. And but there, it was it was really really cruel and really <laughs> much in. Yeah, I can't explain. There's another then. There's another thing that I for me, uh, marked me very deeply is that, um, and actually that's why I decided to make the film. Um, it's how, yeah, the, the different uh, nationalities and people helped each other. And uh, w one thing that marked me very much was after a few days that we were, the, the, the rescued people were on board, First, obviously, they, they were very tired, so they would sleep and they would drink and eat a bit. And then um, and a lot of these people had lost family members or, for example, one thing that they used to ask, ask me was, please, can I have a telephone to call my mom and tell them I'm, I'm alive? Like, uh, I mean, how universal is this? And yeah, and then um, I guess due to their culture, which is so so much more uh, i don't know i don't know how to describe it i was going to say i live but it's not it's not the correct word but anyway the the all of their pain and their suffering and their hopes and their uh, dreams and their nightmares they would be translated into music so they would sing and uh, dance and talk about their experience through music and for me, that was very, very powerful. So that's how, I, that's why I started recording. Whereas before I used to just take pictures and then I started recording videos. And after, after my trips, I went to, 
So I was in Brussels at that time. And I felt that I had to do something, that my pictures were not enough. And the work I had done uh, being on the ship was not enough. So I really wanted to share those videos with, um, yeah, in some way and with people that are not able to see this. My first edit was... uh, I just took these Im- these uh, videos of singing and of dancing and I did a very simple edit where it was just that. And for me, every time I saw it, I would be in tears because it was so, um, so powerful and it said so much to me. And I remember showing this edit of uh, these people singing and dancing to, to somebody I knew. And uh, she told me that yeah, if these people are dancing, it means that it, things are not so bad, that they're not so... In, yeah, so it, it's okay, basically, because they're singing. And this was a great shock, obviously, for me. So but this that, also, sorry to interrupt, this also happens yeah. here, the, the locals will say, but they all have telephones, which means they've got money. I said to them, you know what, the telephone is their only link to the world. They've got no, no other links. Of course, they've got a telephone. Doesn't mean they've got anything else. Uh, without a telephone, they can do nothing, in, especially in the world we live. So it's misperception that you can't actually, you can't have joy and sadness living in the same body or that you can't empathize. The fact that you sing, a lot of the time you sing to cover up the sadness or to elevate yourself. It's not because you're happy. It's to express an emotion mm-hmm. or to... It's to express a collaboration or a, a community. But there is a, such a one-dimensionness of how people perceive the rescue people. Okay? Yeah. They, they, for them, for us to understand, they've got to be naked with nothing. So if they've yeah, got to dress exactly. in, if they've got to dress in silk or good cotton, which a lot of these countries produce good cotton, well, she's got dresses. So it's Okay. I think it's very, it's quite sad that we haven't been able to change the perception that these people have got nothing and they're not coming to take away anything from us. This is the only choice they have if they want to survive. What they left is really, really worse than actually getting on those boats and perhaps dying. Yeah, and and it's really sad to, I mean, I, I don't understand but our, it, it seems that memory, our memory is so short because a few years ago we were these people and actually in the background of each of our families people are moving since always and, uh, and if, if you leave your home, if you leave your family and you go to somewhere you don't know anything about it's obviously because you have no, no other choice but even if you did have choice i mean okay <laughs> it's uh it's very yeah it, it it comes back to that thing that people are, are fall into categories we have categories yeah. for people and uh and there are the lucky ones and the unlucky ones and if you are unlucky well it's very 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 extremely hard to to change but yeah. your life also changed on these boats in another way my life Yes, in in addition to taking your photographs and listening to all these stories that ultimately show humanity and are inspiring because the human spirit surviving is very inspiring. How did your life change? 
it changed in many many levels. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, there's a part of me which is on the, on the very practical uh, on the very level. practical level. Yeah, I don't know if <laughs> this is what you're you mean, but yeah, on a very practical level, I actually met um, I met Max, and and now I I became a mother, and actually in the in the last in my last mission on board. Uh, I found out I was pregnant, so it was also quite a challenge for me because I, I, yeah, it, I had to to change my life and oh. and being uh, like a, a woman and a photographer and also I've always dreamed of being on ships. Uh, well, you can't do everything; it's very difficult, and at least not for now. And and also having uh, children i realized like this and uh, other categories in our society much close closer to my reality that i was not aware of uh, as a mother <laughs> and uh, like yeah this is something else but in a very uh, that's a very personal the very personal story but uh, re re regarding the um, yeah the experience i I had on board this ship and the people I met and and everything I saw. It's I, I guess it's still something well, which I'm trying to comprehend process. and process. Yeah. So tell us about yeah. a letter to Nicola. So yeah, so the the film a letter to Nicola, which was actually the outcome of of all of this. <laughs> uh, so as I told you earlier, I was trying to. To find a way to share the videos of the of the singing and of the music on board the Aquarius, and uh, when I realized that just having them uh, edited one after the other was not enough, I started trying to find another form to to talk about this experience and this story, but I didn't want to fall into the trap of trying to. Um, explain this, like tr trying to put the explanation and and numbers and uh, yeah, not I didn't want to become a journalist in the sense that I didn't I didn't have uh, answers, so I started looking at at the how with what the videos I had and knowing that I was already pregnant and I was not able to go back on the ship. I was trying to find a way to talk about this story and at first I didn't I really didn't want to talk in the first person and and put myself in in the the story but more and more I realized that 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 was the only way um I could actually feel okay with showing and talking about other people's life I had to talk about me and and speak about my personal story in order to talk about others and so basically i started uh, i started the film when nicola who's who's now my son and he's already four years old now um so when nicola was still in in, in my belly i started uh, trying to write a letter to him explaining my experience explaining what I had seen and explaining, trying to put words in all of this and trying to put an order 
in my thoughts and in my feelings, which was not a very easy process. But it actually really helped me. Nicolas, even though he was not born, he helped me make this film in which now half, half of it is based on land, uh, so it's my thoughts, uh, and the other half is with the images and, uh, and the footage I have from the, the Aquarius. And when I watched uh, yeah. it, I think the thing that I liked about it is that it was intimate. Mm. It wasn't a general public story. It was a very intimate story, and I think that's what makes a letter to Nicola so unique. Because you can feel the emotions. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, it was not a, it was not an easy process. I mean, it took me, I think, about three years. Uh, I was working on the edit, and um, it was very difficult to find a balance between how much to say about my personal life, how much to show of the ship, and. Obviously, I was very frustrated and very angry, and there were moments that this edit and the text I was writing was very with a lot of anger, and there was other moments that I was frustrated, and other moments I was lost, and and uh, yeah, it was a the challenge was this to find a balance between all of this and and. Um, how to how do you say th uh, thread or knit these two different stories um, together in in an not an equal way but in a way that represented the, my reality and what I wanted to say. So, I think that's the biggest challenge for documentary makers because in say forty minutes or however long, because documentaries are not usually long, you've actually got to put in so much information, hmm. and you've got to make sure that. You pick out the things that are important or you think are important and thread them. Because I was involved in a documentary called Missing Fetine. It's a local documentary about that period in history in the 1930s where, where Turkish Cypriot women were sold to passing Palestinians as wives. Okay. And I think the, the, they're not sure of numbers because nothing was documented. I'm talking about the 1930s, but it was a time of poverty. So people were getting daughters and getting money or whatever to support their families. And one of my friends actually found out she had an aunt that had been sent away and she decided to try and find her. And because of all this information, they used my radio, my podcast to actually mm. thread all the pieces together. They picked three or four important questions. So it's like it's um so much admiration for the way you need to thread it together so that you look as so that it looks as if it's one stitch yeah. and it doesn't look like a patchwork of different things that don't um, match so uh, lots of uh, lots of admiration how long did the process take you from beginning to end so yeah the the the, the time period was long because it took the edit took me three years and i had already been on to 2017 in the ship so let's say four years the whole process but basically what happened was that so I, I found out I was pregnant I knew I was not going to go back on the ship and a few months after that the the ship was uh, it was not the first time the ship kept being blocked from uh, the European from the from yet yeah, 
the European authorities would block with different excuses, block the, the mission, the humanitarian mission. And, uh, and I think when, uh, yes, three, four months after my last trip, it was stopped uh, completely. So the Aquarius had to stop completely its operation. And that's when I thought that, okay, I cannot just wait um, or not say anything. I really had, I felt that it was really important for me to do something. And, but um, I didn't have, I didn't have any, anybody to work with. I mean, I was just, uh, it was some story that I really wanted to talk about and say. Um, so I was trying different types of edits, but I was working on it alone. And uh, it's after I think a year, a year or two, uh, through some uh, seminars I used to be part of in Brussels. Uh, it's called Sound in Much Culture, and it's a collective of artists and anthropologists that work together uh, in the creation of films. And basically, you have a project and you you show it to these people and then there is a, uh, a discussion about uh, where, yeah, what people feel and see in the film. And, and it's through them that I found out about Derive and Julie Frère, which is a producer in Belgium. And uh, she had the courage to say, okay, I'll support you because... Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. It was really, it was really great to work with her because it, yeah, she's a great woman, and I used to uh, record and film and do small montages, but it was in uh, from another angle. I, it more to do um, installation and and small videos or small short films. I've had never worked on a on a bigger project like this one. She had the courage to say, "Okay, let's go. I'll I'll follow you and support you on this." And uh, and so she was there for another year. I, I would edit um, the story myself and I would have her uh, comment. And then once the project uh, had more or less found, uh, yeah, found a final form, then I worked with uh, Cédric Zonen, who's an editor in Brussels. We had, I think, a session of uh, three weeks or a month. And that's really when the project was. Uh, we got a, a little funding from the Belgian uh, audiovisual uh, <laughs> department. So yeah, we had some money to to finish it. So it was a long process. It was quite a, and it was my first, uh, my first lo long film, let's say. So uh, I was constantly learning in every step of the way. It was a. It was a new thing for me, yeah. And when did you show it for the first time? Uh, the, so the first festival that, because that's another thing I, I hadn't realized, that there's a whole uh, market and a whole uh, way that things are, films are shown and um, there's basically festivals of different categories and you have to aim for the higher category and then slowly slowly go down basically and uh, yeah that was also quite an interesting thing for me to learn um but uh, i got i got the film was accepted in Yichlava, so it's a festival near prague and it was actually really really nice to go and show it there uh, for the first time 
that was in 2021, I think in November. And since then, it has more or less traveled. It, it does basically its own life. Sometimes, oh. sometimes I go to to talk about it after the projection, but it has been to more places than what I have been to. So <laughs> that's that's nice. And and then another another thing that uh, was quite a big, uh, but again very personal, but very challenging and 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 nice uh, step was uh, when it was um, it was selected in in the th- festival of Thessaloniki in Greece and what was funny is that so basically it's a letter to Nicola so first I started writing the text in in French because I thought in order for other people to understand what I'm talking about I was living in Belgium I need to speak in French but my mother tongue is Greek, so obviously I would speak to my son in Greek. Oh. Uh, but then it was another uh, whole other problem because the producer wouldn't understand, so I had to spend a crazy amount of time doing the subtitles. Anyway, and I realized I made the whole film and I had feedback from people that had no idea what I was saying. Just they would read the, the subtitles. So then uh, when I projected it in Greece, I realized that, oh my God, it's the first time that uh, people will actually hear what I'm saying yeah. and not read it. <laughs> so then I got very nervous thinking, okay, I hope I, I hope it makes sense. And I hope it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah. I hope that what I say makes sense. And But it went and very was well. Was it well received? Did you go to that screening? Yeah, I did. I did. and. Um, it was really nice and it was just after COVID as well. So like seeing people and hearing the reactions of people was uh, really nice. And so I went for the projection and then took the plane to come back in Marseille where I, I live for the moment. And then uh, a day or two later, it was the, um, the last day of the festival and they were giving the prizes. And somebody texted me saying, oh, congratulations. And I thought they were joking, or they had there was a mistake. But actually, they there was the special jury mention of the film, so I got. Oh wow, that's wonderful! Yeah, so I was. Uh, I really at first I was like, uh, I couldn't understand if what was happening, but it was a, uh, it was a great a sensation, and I felt very very happy about that. And now, yeah, and now the film is still going around. I was. Uh, uh, actually, this weekend invited near the borders of between France and uh, um, Swiss in a place called uh, Le Plateau de Glières, which is a, a historic uh, place where there was a, a resistance during the Second World War. And now I go to the projections, and Nicolas comes with me, and he's four years old. So it's really nice to to be with him and to be able to share with him. And on the same hand, it's it's so unfortunate and sad to think that already four years have passed and things not only have not improved, but... They're getting worse. Of, yeah, they're getting worse, actually. What is Nicola's impression of the documentary? <laughs> Has he got uh, any real comments except... Because there's some lovely, there's lovely imagery. Thank you. Um, for him, he's still a little boy, so... 
and I'm a bit glad that he doesn't get everything because I think it's a lot of cruelty for him to get uh, in such a small age. And actually one of my worries was that one day he will see it and I really didn't want to... I didn't want ever him to feel that he has the responsibility or the pressure to save the world because that's oh. not... I'm associating two two very different things but I didn't I yeah I was very scared that I, I didn't want to make a film that would in any way put him any pressure yes. to to so save the I world to, so if I want yeah. to if someone wants to see a letter for Nicola is there a website that they can go to and rent a screening or something yeah uh, I think there are a few now, but the, the, the main one is to go on Derive, uh, D-E-R-I-V-E dot B-E. Derive uh, is, the, um, is the production, uh, the name of the producers. So uh, in um, there, there is, if you go on Derive, sorry, there is D. E-R-I-V-E-S. There's an S in the end. And if you go on their website, um, you can you can actually rent the film. Uh, okay. So that's quite amazing. I'll upload this. But I also want to know, Thank have you. you, are you starting anything else or are you still working with the letter for Nicola? Are you doing anything else? Yeah, I've started a new... Um, I mean, there's two stories that I'm, I, I'm, I would like to explore through film. Uh, it's, it both has to do with it, very different things. One has to do with the past story of, of Europe, let's say, and the other one has to do more with the today, uh, today's actualities and, and contemporary story of um, both. Uh, in both cases, it's about uh, two different women. But one thing that is common in, in those new stories I would like to explore, and I, I realize that it's actually a theme and something that has been always uh, there in my projects, both films and, and more artistic projects, is uh, actually the sea and the Mediterranean Sea and, um, okay. and water. So I'm, I'm, well, we'll, I'm looking we'll into this. To hear about this when you've got a more concrete proposal. But yeah. I want to end this um, conversation on a note, a storytelling note. Is there any story that you heard on the Aquarius? I'm sure you heard a lot of stories, but is there any one that stood out? Yeah, the, the, there was a lot of stories, and uh, and they were all all very sad because we met in this particular moment of their life but one thing that that happened that i wanted to talk about in my film but in the end i didn't but i i normally say it afterwards when they ask me about the 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 first uh, basically the first rescue we did uh, there was i don't know i think it was about 150 people on board the call from italy that told us that you can come and uh, disembark people in Sicily. Uh, I think it was in uh, Catania, in the port of Catania. So we started heading back uh, towards uh, Sicily. And at some point, uh, um, 
I, I don't remember where exactly I was on the ship, but I was inside and I hear, uh, I hear these women singing, but a, a song that was so loud, it was like, a, I've never heard a song like that. So I quickly ran to the shelter. The shelter was, um, we had a, a room inside the ship that was dedicated and for the women and the children. The men were all sitting outside, and the men uh, and the women and the children, sorry, they were inside. And the so all the women were stuck in the windows of the ship, looking at the land appearing in the horizon, and they were singing and dancing, and it was really a moment of great joy. And I started feeling so bad because I was thinking to myself, they have no idea what's waiting for them because. Yes. Um, we're going there. They're they're happy to arrive in Italy, but there will be the police there. To? Exactly. What are they arriving to, and how many of those people will make it, and what does it mean make it? I mean, how how will they survive? Basically, it's, we're talking about survival, not even. So uh, so I started feeling so bad, and and one woman saw me and she asked me, and. Uh, I told her like I told her exactly this. I told her that I'm I'm really sorry, but I see you being happy, and I feel so bad because uh, I know that what the wait for you is is really not easy. And and she told me, you know what? That we just escaped the horrors of Libya. We were what I told you earlier. We were raped. We were imprisoned. We have lost a lot of loved people on the way. We've seen people drowning. And uh, we are still alive. And now we are entering this new phase. And maybe we will be sent back. Maybe uh, things will continue to be very hard. But at least we are alive and we have survived so far. For me, this stuck in my mind because it was very, very powerful moment. I'm sure it was. Hurrah, I would like to thank you for accepting the invitation to come and speak about your documentary and the subject it covers, migration, which is so important in this daily period that we are living. Thank you very much and look forward to perhaps connecting with you in person, either if you visit Cyprus or if I visit Marseille. To the listeners, if you want to watch the documentary and you want to find out more about Hara, you will find links on the episode page. And to all of you that are listening, until next time, keep rocking. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus, Island Talks, open, diverse, free.